0: Hey there, podcast listeners. We have a special treat for you today. Uh, About four times a year, we have what we call a kid-friendly sermon. Uh, It happens during school holidays. And basically, I pitch the sermon such that the kids really get the first half and uh, I, I make some extra comments to the adults at the end. It's an unusual kind of sermon, but it's one that seems to work for our congregation and I hope it's of benefit to you too. Anyway, here's the sermon. let's pray and then I'll speak um, especially to the kids, but you know how it works, grown-ups. I may be speaking to the kids, but I know that you're listening and I'm kind of counting on you listening um, as well. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, thank you that your word is so interesting and intriguing, full of stories and truths and wisdom and most of all, full of great news about Jesus, by which we're saved and by which we're set free. God, would you please open our minds and our hearts to what you have in store for us in your word this morning? Help us to understand, but more than that, help us to actually love what's good and live by faith and learn your ways. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Oh Amen. That's right. Yeah. Now, to get us underway today, um I'd particularly I need your imaginations, um children, and I need your or, or or people. I need your imaginations to get into today's topic. And I want you to imagine something. Now, here's the thing. I want you to imagine something and then I want you I want to hear from you what you would say next. Okay. So I need you to do the imagining and then let me know the next thing that you reckon if that happened to you, what you would say next. Okay. Have we got our imaginations ready? Got our, got our hands ready? Maybe. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. I can see some hands ready already. Great. Um, okay. Imagine where are you? It's lunchtime. It's lunchtime and you're at school. You're in the playground and you're sitting with a close friend of yours. You're in the playground at school, sitting with a close friend, it's fairly quiet just where you are, you and your close friend and then up comes another friend, okay, here comes another friend coming towards you now and you can see that that, that other friend of, of both of yours, you're, you're, all three of you are friends, you, your close friend and here comes the other friend, this other friend of yours who's coming towards you has something that you want in her hand or his hand, in fact two somethings, Let's say it's two chocolates, two but only two chocolates in her hand as she comes towards you both. So let's say it's two chocolates and she reaches out her hand and passes one of those chocolates to your friend who's with you, your close friend beside you, passes one of those chocolates to that close friend. Not yet, Charlie, I'll tell you when. And what does that other, what's that close friend do with that chocolate? That close friend unwraps it and gobbles it up. What does she do with the second chocolate? What does the friend do with the second chocolate? The second chocolate she unwraps for herself and gobbles it up, okay? So let's just do a little, quick little bit of maths. There were two chocolates to begin with. One of them got gobbled by your close friend. One of them got gobbled by the friend who was coming with the only two chocolates. Here's my question, what do you say next? Right, there is none for you. There is nothing for you. You got nothing. There are no chocolates left. What do you say next? Can I see some hands? Any hands? Yes. Oh man. Yeah, I think that's good. Any others? Yes, Christo. Why wasn't, there one for me? Why wasn't there one for me? Yes. Any other ideas, Charlie? Where's the third one? Where's the third one? Any? Yes. Is any that is. You could say that. Actually, I'll talk about that in just a minute because I think in our hearts, that's kind of how we feel, isn't it? Anyway, let me give you, here's another situation. So, um, some more imagining and then I want to hear more responses. Same thing happens the very next day, okay? Same thing happens. You, your friend, playground, lunchtime, everything's quiet, along comes the same friend. Except this time, in her hand or his hand, there aren't just two chocolates. Oh, she's struggling to carry them all. There's heaps of chocolates now in her hands, lots of them. And and what does she do when she comes to you? Well, she starts sharing them out. One for your close friend unwraps, gobbles it. One for her unwraps, gobbles it. One for your close friend unwraps, gobbles it. One for her unwraps, gobbles it. One for your close friend unwraps, gobbles it. One for her unwraps, gobbles it. Until that mound of chocolates that she could barely carry has got down to just two. And what does she do with the last two? One for your friend unwraps, gobbles it. One for her unwraps, gobbles it. (sighs) there are none for you, still none for you, that mound of chocolates, I don't know if you love chocolates, but I sure do, gone and nothing, not a single one. (sighs) Hands, what do you say? Yeah? Yes, why couldn't you share one with me? Any other ideas? What else, what you might say, Charlie? That's, uh, yeah, we're going to get to, as I said, we're going to talk about what's going on in their hearts in just a minute. Any other responses? What do you think you'd say? What are you feeling at that point? <sighs> yeah? Bad, yes, absolutely. Parents, I've got one for you. I'm looking for a particular phrase and I need your help with it, okay? So you need... Here's, here's, here's the situation for you to imagine, parents. Tell me the words that you can imagine a child might say. Now, I don't mean your little angel, of course, but a child. Just imagine imagine the words that a child might say. What words a child might say if you walk up to two kids side by side and you give one of them, what? The last of the packet of chips just to one of them. Or a fidget spinner, a new fidget spinner, to only one of them. Or you give to that one the promise that they get to have a bit more um, tech time, but you only promise it to one of them. Now, what are the words, the little phrase that you can imagine, um, passing that deprived little child's lips? What's the phrase? Uh, That's not fair, do you know? It crawls at us, that's not fair. The two chocolates and they gobbled and they gobbled, that's not fair, it's not fair, am I right? Let me ask us all, does unfair stuff, see what do you do next, does unfair stuff, does it upset you? You know, whether it's chocolates or fidget spinners or maybe it's a friend who wants to invite him over, but not you, and makes it very clear, oh no, I don't want you to come over, I just want him to come over. Does unfair stuff, does it upset you, does it get at you? Or, you know, the teacher raves about her neat work, but you were trying so hard to be neat this time, and she didn't even say anything, or he didn't even say anything. For grown-ups, it might be that wounded feeling that we carry sometimes when you got wind of the evening out, that that great evening out that everyone else had that you weren't invited to. Um, or, wow, look, she got another lucky break in life, yet another one. She gets all of the lucky breaks, lucky her, do you know what I mean? How do we react in our hearts? Do we get angry about it sometimes? Do we lash out? Do we say something nasty or sulky or... Do we try to get even? Do you know how this works? Where you try to force the situation to get better? Maybe you grab or take just to make it seem more fair. Um, We kind of try to make it right. But if we're honest, what we're really trying to do is get them back some of the time. We want that other person to, you know, we'll try to get something that we know that they can't have to make them feel the same feeling of that's not fair that we've been experiencing, it's revenge isn't it? That's not fair, have you ever felt something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think we all have. Uh, Here's the thing for today, grown-ups kids for all of us, here's the thing, even though we know that Jesus is fair, we know that Jesus is fair, Uh, We know and we believe and we trust that Jesus, He is a great boss over this world, He is a great God over this world, a great King and a great Christ, He is fair, He knows what's fair, He does what's fair. Even so, in our lives, we know this, unfair stuff happens all the time. This world is not fair. Again and again, life is not fair. And sometimes, sometimes, I want to say often, it stays not fair for a long time and 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 it might even be things that never get fixed and there's nothing that we can do about it. Jesus is fair but in this world actually it's not fair and things stay unfair. Here's the thing for us today in our Bible story that we're just about to look at, as Christians we can trust Jesus to deal with the unfairness, we can trust Jesus to deal with the unfairness and we can trust Him to sort it out and, and this is important, we can trust Him no matter how unfair life gets or how long it stays unfair. We can trust Him no matter how unfair life gets or how long it stays unfair. Shall we read the story together? Take a look with me, Acts 25, it'll come up there, open it up in your Bible if you're following along um, on your lap, Acts 25, and um and verse one. So Acts, this wonderful book in the Bible. If you, it's full of great stories, if you haven't read it for a little while or you're not sure what's in there, ask mum or dad can this can we read Acts next in our in our Bible reading at, at reading at home? It's a it's a wonderful book. So here's the scene. Let me just um uh tell us about the key characters, the key characters in Acts 25. So, first of all, there's Festus. I'm not kidding you, that's his name, Festus. Anyone here called Festus? Anyone having a baby boy soon? Oh, you've missed the boat with Bryce. You could have called him Festus. Not to worry, doesn't matter. Festus, yes. So what's his job? Well, he's kind of like the king or the boss. They call him the governor, all right? And and basically he gets to be the judge, The judge, he's the kind of the boss of the court, the judge, the governor. Okay, so there's Festus, there's, um, who else is in the story? There's Paul, Paul, the missionary preacher, Christian uh, pastor Paul and he's in jail actually at this part of the story as we're about to see and I've got to tell you, it's not fair but it's about to get like a hundred times more not fair because the other people in the story are the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders who made Paul go to jail in the first place even though he didn't do anything wrong. But worse than that, and we're about to see this, the Jewish leaders don't just want him in jail, they want him dead. Okay, we're about to see that um, in just a moment. Let's read along together. Acts 25 verse 1, three days after arriving in the province, Festus, so he's the boss, he's the judge, he's the governor, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, all right, that's where the Jewish leaders are, uh, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favour to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem bring him to Jerusalem, that's what they're saying. Why are they saying that? For, keep reading, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him, to kill Paul along the way. What's going to happen? Well, Festus answered... He basically says no, which is a relief at this point. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there, if he's done anything wrong after spending eight or ten days with them, Festus uh, went down to Caesarea and the next day he convened the court, okay, so he's judge again now and the people are there, convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him bringing many serious charges against Paul, which they couldn't prove." Now, what's all that about? What's all that about? We'll just pause there for a minute. What's all that about? So these Jewish leaders, they want to get Paul in huge trouble, big trouble. Um, He's already in jail, but that's not enough trouble from their point of view. They want more than that. Um, And now in those days and in that place, in some places in the world still today, but in those days, in that place, a judge like Festus... If you'd done something big and serious and bad enough, could not just put you in jail, could sentence you to death, right? That was just how it was in those days. And so they, the, the Jews were saying, yep, Festus, Paul has done a bad enough thing, serious charges. Uh, but wait, did did Paul do a bad enough thing? No, no, he, he, he didn't. Have a look, verse 7, they brought, it says, they brought many serious charges against Paul, which they couldn't prove. Let's keep reading verse 8, then Paul made his defence, I've done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar, he's he's the big king of the land at the time. The kids, here's here's where it gets really unfair actually, if we keep reading, here's where it gets really unfair um, because remember what the Jews wanted, either they wanted you, Festus, to punish Paul by killing him for doing something so bad, or, or, what was the other thing they wanted? Just send him down to Jerusalem, and we'll attack him and kill him on the way ourselves. So have a look at verse nine. Festus, it says, what does Festus do? Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favour, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem? To stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I'm now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. You can almost hear it, can't you? That's not fair! I'm already standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried, I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well, if however I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I don't refuse to die, but if the charges brought against me by these Jews aren't true, no one has the right to hand me over to them, I appeal to Caesar. So kids, here's the thing, and this is in our Bibles... God knows that the world sometimes is deeply unfair, is really unfair, that unfair things happen in our world. Next time an unfair thing happens happens to you in your life, remember that the Bible knows unfair stuff happens in this world, it tells me about it, it's not fair. Paul in prison, it's not fair. That is looking like being killed. In this case he isn't killed, I'm thankful to say, you'll have to read on with um, mum and dad at home or on your own to find out what happens. He didn't even do anything wrong, it's not fair. So when life gets unfair, remember this, God knows about it, God knows about the unfairness of this world. So what's the lesson then? Well I reckon it's this, even when, even when life gets totally unfair, because it's not if, alright, it will. So when life gets totally unfair, let's still trust Jesus because not only does He know about it and care about it and listen, but we can also trust Jesus because we believe that He will make everything fair in the end. We can trust Jesus because we believe He will make everything fair in the end. So you have to ask uh, the you know grandma or grandpa or mum and dad, whoever, any of the adults here in the last few weeks, because we've been talking about it. Paul's been saying stuff like this, saying stuff like, my hope is in the resurrection of the dead, stuff like that from the last chapters of Acts, right? So Paul in prison, maybe gonna die. His hope in the end, isn't just getting out of jail. His hope in the end, isn't just avoiding being killed by the Jews. It's a hope that when Jesus comes back, that's when things are going to be set right. That's when things are going to be fair. That's when things are going to be great. When Jesus comes back as a judge, a better judge than Festus, Jesus will get it right. He will make it fair. Um, And he has the power to do that and the power of life. Is that what he'll do when he comes again? Is that our real hope for fairness in an unfair world? And that means... Live or die, uh, chocolate or no chocolate, it means we can trust Jesus when life gets unfair. Now, how's that actually changed things? All right? Cast your mind back, remember you and your friend, All right? we're, we're hanging out but you're not invited. Remember you and your friend in the playground, uh, a chocolate for her, gobble gobble, a chocolate for him, gobble gobble but none for you. Remember... Uh, the, the wound grown-ups of not being invited or she always gets the breaks yet again and I'm stuck where I am. What does it look like to trust Jesus then? Like Paul, we can still say that's not fair, okay? It's okay to see it and say that's not fair but instead of going bananas or getting angry or grabbing or getting back or making them feel the same pain that we've felt. I can say this, I can say I know it's not fair and I know that Jesus knows that it's not fair but I know that he will make it fair one day. Maybe not today, maybe not in this life but he is my hope and so I will do what is fair For my part, I won't make it worse and I'll leave it with him to sort it out. I will let Jesus worry about making it right in the end, worry about making it fair. Can we pray together? I reckon we need help in that. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, well, first of all, Father, we we actually confess that pretty often we're the ones who have done the unfair thing. And we're sorry for that. We're sorry for every single time that we've done what's not fair. Maybe with brothers and sisters, maybe we've been greedy and we've got it all for ourselves or we've taken more than what we know is our fair share or we've gloated and boasted instead of sharing and caring and loving. God, thank you that Jesus isn't just our judge, he's also our forgiver. He took everything not fair that we've done and he died in our place on the cross and so we are forgiven, we are clear, we are clean and now he's our hope of everything set right and straight and fair again. God, please help us to trust Jesus when things go wrong. We pray that we would, yeah, still have a very keen sense, a very clear idea of what's fair and what's not fair but we pray that we'd be content to trust you to be patient and like Paul to do what's right even when life is just awfully unfair. We ask all this in Jesus' name and we look forward God to the day when Jesus comes back to judge and to do what's fair and to make everything right. Bring that day soon we pray, Amen. Okay, well done kiddos. Um, Now you older ones stick with us but grown-ups I think, I, I actually, I, I've so been enjoying this, um, this series in Acts. There's so much in this, we're not going to be able to get to it, um, today. But I reckon we could go in a few directions, even with these dozen or so verses in front of us. There's a few directions we could go. I think it'd do us good, um, to chew over How to spiritually handle the unfair, um, not just at the little level, but how to spiritually handle the deep injustices of this world, the persistent, um, unresolvable, the areas in this world where we look at them and we say that is not fair and I don't even know what I can do about it. How do we leave that stuff with the Lord? While at the same time doing everything that we are able to do to seek justice in this world. How do we get that balance right? How do we hold those two things together? Um, another angle, um, we're not, we're not going to particularly look at that one. I think it'd be good, but we're going to look at something else. Another angle we could do, I think it'd do us good to chew over that, that bit, um, from the first bit of my prayer. How do we as Christians take a firm stand on what is fair and what is right and what is good in the world when we know that we're flawed and unfair individuals? We're often the perpetrators of injustice. Uh, we take more than our fair share when we've got the chance. So how do I go from one situation where I've been unfair and go to another one and then demand what's fair in life? Do you know, how do we hold that together in our Christian walk, knowing that Jesus is the judge and he's our judge but also knowing that he's our forgiver and the hope of forgiveness for everyone else. But instead of those two angles, which perhaps we could tease out in conversation, could I instead point us back just to verse 11 in our text, just to verse 11 in our text, if you have it open in front of you. Um, I'd like us to see how Paul, he, he clings to his innocence there but and I think this is important, he does it, he clings to his innocence without getting high and mighty, without getting uh, puffed up or self-righteous or holier than thou about it. And and I guess I want to ask as we look at Paul there in verse 11, do we care, do I care um, to live a truly innocent and fair and spotless life before the Lord with the same passion that Paul does in verse 11. So take a look with me there, let's look from verse 10, I think we should pick it up from verse 10. Paul answered, Festus, uh, in in the light of all these charges against him, Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I haven't done any wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. So Paul, he knows he's in the clear he wants to be cleared, he's confident that he deserves to be cleared and do we remember the last few weeks, even, even Festus' predecessor, Felix, knew that Paul was in the clear. But look at this, look at what Paul is willing to put on the table, just the very next sentence, verse 11, if however, he says, if however I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. Why would he say that? why would he put his own death on the table at a time like this, unless he wants to drive them to see not just his innocence that is in the clear, but the extent of his passion, his drive, his love for living a pure life before the Lord. Um, John Calvin, the 16th century reformer, John Calvin He reckons these words, they ought to really challenge us as Christians, Paul's response here. He says this, I'll read it to you, he says, and surely ministers of Christ, Um, he doesn't mean the guy at the front, he means every Christian, ministers of Christ, servants of Christ, Christians, and surely ministers of Christ ought to be just as concerned to bear witness to their innocence as to save their lives. Ministers of Christ, the Christians, ought to be just as concerned to bear witness to their innocence as to save their lives. I've got to tell you, do, do you care as much about your innocence as saving your own skin? I'm not sure I do most of the time and surely ministers of Christ ought to be just as concerned to bear witness to their innocence as to save their lives. You see, At one and the same time in this verse, Paul is showing us, isn't he, what it means to not be terrified of death, right? That is his hope. He has a hope that can help him handle that after all. That is his hope in action here. He's showing us at one and the same time what it is to not be terrified of death, he has the hope of resurrection, but also what it means to care deeply that he never be part of any of the brokenness and unfairness and wrongness of this world, the injustice, that he might never be a force for the same kind of brokenness and evil and twistedness that his opponents, even standing across the the, uh, the courtroom, are so eager to engage in. Paul's words, if however I am found guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. So the challenge I want to put to us is this as we close. We need to not pretend away the unfairness of the world. That is is an important thing for some of us. It gnaws at us very deeply. We need to not pretend away the unfairness of the world. Life gets brutally unfair. Um, History teaches us that. Our own memories teach us that the things that haunt us and trouble us, the things that we stew over, the things that we struggle to set aside and we lose sleep over about the brokenness of this world. No, life's not fair. But get this from the example of Paul here as he follows the example of Christ before him, get this, playing dirty and playing by the world's rules, joining in the world's unfairness and compounding it, that is not the way for ministers of Christ, for Christians, servants of Jesus to live in this world. We bring no glory to Jesus by living that way. We bring the gospel of forgiveness to no one by carrying on in unfairness. We bring no message of hope of fairness to the lost and to the dying unless we stand apart and stand with Christ in our conduct. So I think the call here is in an unfair world, lean on the Lord Jesus and practise his fairness that we so long to experience one day. So play fair with your spouse, play fair with your boss. Don't try to get one ahead just because you have the opportunity to. Play fair in sport, play fair in that test at school or on your tax or with the inheritance or among your siblings And even if they don't play fair, as was the example in Acts 25, in an unfair world, lean on the Lord Jesus and practice His fairness, the fairness we so long to experience fully in our lives and our world. Let's pray together. God have mercy on us. Your children, your servants, Christ's ambassadors, those you've forgiven, have mercy on us, O God. May we not be all-consumingly concerned with what we deserve, with what is our right, with our fair share. May we be consumed, rather, by the love of Christ, a love that knows how to persevere in the face of deep unfairness that turns Uh, back our own unfair hearts. Christ's love does that within us. A love that will wait in faith for a fairness yet to be revealed that we eagerly look forward to. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.